Go to God when your need is desperate, when all their help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say, my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Where do these desperate cries come from? Did I rip them out of the pages of some atheist's diary or some embittered ex-Christian? The first one was written by Christian author C.S. Lewis. He gave us the book Mere Christianity and Chronicles of Narnia. The second two were from the pages of Scripture. The second one was from Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. The third one was from David himself, the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, suffering like hot water to a tea bag draws out what's inside. And a lot of times what's inside isn't pretty. Sometimes when suffering draws out what's inside, what comes out are these embittered or bewildered questions. If you really loved me, why am I suffering like this? And like we looked at last time, the whole topic of suffering is a topic that Paul had introduced in Romans chapter 5, and now he picks up that topic here in chapter 8, and he wants to tell us that our suffering, far from diminishing our assurance in Christ, actually can fuel our hope. And he tells us things about our suffering and about the glory that should outweigh our suffering. We see this in verse 17. He says, We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what he's saying is there are some things that we should know about our suffering. Our suffering as Christians is different. Now, get this, it is not suffering to pay for our sin. There's only one kind of suffering that could pay for sin, and that's the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. This suffering is the kind of suffering that comes packaged in life in a fallen world. But for the Christian, this suffering is different. It's different because it's with Christ. Paul says in verse 17, if we suffer with Him. Secondly, it's different because it's temporary. It says the sufferings of this present time, and third, it's different because it's going somewhere. It's not meaningless. It's not random. It's not pointless. The suffering of a believer has a very specific purpose. It's a God-intended purpose, which you are experiencing right now in your sufferings. The pain that you had this past week, the heartache that you anticipate coming up in the weeks to come, God is lovingly orchestrating all these things in your life for a very specific and good purpose. Instead of causing us to doubt our assurance, suffering should fuel our hope. Why? It's when you compare it with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So look at verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. Put your suffering right here on one end of the scale. And then put the glory right here. And the glory is so immense, it it makes the suffering not even worth putting on the scale. It doesn't even register. And what is this glory? I mean, what possibly could be so immense and of such magnitude that it would actually eclipse the pain that you're experiencing right now? I mean, what could that possibly be? We find out later on in verse 29 when Paul says that this glory that outweighs suffering, this 
pain-eclipsing glory is the glory of being conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the glory that outweighs your suffering. And now, if we'll be honest, some of us will say, oh, is that all? Is that really going to outweigh my suffering? It's kind of like I remember when we were taking our kids to camp with a bunch of teens, and we kept on telling them, we're going to camp with excited looks on our faces, as if most of communication is nonverbal. You know, for all, all, they could have been, all they could have known, we were saying, we're going to Chuck E. Cheese, but we're going to camp, and, and we're excited about it, and, and, and the trip is long, and, and they're expecting this to be an exciting time. I still remember the words of one of my children when we got there. She, she's looking around, and, and she can barely see above the window, you know, and, and we say, we're here. And I remember her saying, is this camp? Is, is this it? Sometimes we can feel when, when I say, okay, the, the glory that outweighs your suffering is the glory of being like Jesus. Is that it? God knows our limitations. God knows that we could barely see over the window. And so what Paul is doing here, he says, okay, I want you to know something about the glory that is to await you. I want you to know something about the future glory. How great is it? It is so great that all of creation is groaning for it. This is no small glory. This is something of such magnitude that for untold ages, the created order has been longing for it to happen. This is why he has the word for in verse 19. How great is the glory that is to be revealed to us for it? Okay, because of this, let me explain. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God creation groans. And there are just two parts to this message, two parts to the, the explanation as to why creation groans. To heighten the pain-eclipsing magnitude of this glory, creation groans because until we become like Jesus, creation remains in bondage. This is a staggering truth. Until you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, until we perfectly and finally become like Jesus, this entire creation remains in a kind of bondage. Okay, okay, whatever glory awaits us must be of such stupendous magnitude that the cosmos cannot fulfill its God-intended function until we're like Jesus. That's how great the glory is. If you're saying, oh, is that all? Paul said, hang on, hang on just a second. Creation groans for this. The galaxies are longing for this to happen. This is no small thing. This is something to be excited about. Because until we become like Jesus, creation remains in bondage. We see this in verse 20. Look, look, at, look at your Bible. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. How did this happen? What's going on in the universe right now that Paul would describe the universe as being in bondage to corruption? That's why we had for Scripture reading at the beginning of the service, Genesis chapter 3, which recounts the story of why now our creation is in bondage to corruption. It's because of our sin. It's because of the first human's choice to live independently of God. Now, get this. This is so important for us to see the irony of the situation. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Why were they created in God's image? 
They were created in God's image so that they could fulfill certain God-appointed functions, that is, exercising dominion over the garden, stewarding it for the glory of God. But instead of exercising their God-given dominion for the glory of God, what Adam and Eve did is they took part of that creation and they perverted it for their own purposes. They took of the fruit of the tree, instead of exercising dominion over the serpent, they allowed the serpent to exercise dominion over them, and now they have used creation for a purpose other than what God appointed it for. There's the irony. Adam and Eve created in the image of God using the creation of God for a purpose it was not intended for, serving as the masters of their own fate instead of submitting to God. That's the story of this bondage. These verses here in Romans 8 have echoes of that ancient story of the curse upon the earth because of human sin. And now, as we read about in Genesis 3, God said, "'Cursed be the ground because of you.'" The creation had never felt a curse before. Up until this point, it was all blessing, and and God saw that it was very good, and everything was good, and now suddenly there is this pronouncement that rocks the galaxies, cursed be the ground because of you. Instead of a blessing, a curse. Instead of life, death. Instead of growth, decay. You see now what Paul means when he says in verse 21 that the creation is in bondage to corruption. It means that corruption is written into the very code of the cosmos that hairs turn gray, and houses fall apart, and civilizations disintegrate, and stars burn out, and creation groans because it's under a curse, because it's in bondage to corruption, because of human sin. And because of that, we see in verse 20, it's subjected to futility. We can understand the word futility to mean frustration. In other words, when Paul says the, the creation itself was subjected to futility, it means it's frustrated from fulfilling its God-intended purpose. God created the universe for His glory, but, but it doesn't fulfill that purpose. Why? Because people aren't using it for that way. Yes, the heavens declare the glories of God, right? That's what Psalm 19 teaches. The heavens declare the glory of God, but what do human beings do to the heavens? Instead of looking at the heavens and saying, Wow, how great God is. People have worshipped the heavens instead of God, and creation groans. We find a similar theme in the book of Ecclesiastes when Solomon surveys the ceaseless cycle of sin and death and says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The earth was never intended to be a place where human flesh rots in cemeteries, where tsunamis wipe out entire cities, where viruses creep into human bodies and destroy them, where famines swell the bellies of children and leave them to die on the floor of a parched desert. The universe was never intended to be a place like that. These are the result of a curse that leads to corruption, that leads to frustration, and the universe, the creation groans. How long, how long will it be like this? Look at verse 19. Until the revealing of the sons of God. Isn't that astonishing? Let's go back to the whole context of this. Why is Paul even saying this? He's saying this because you need to know something about this magnificent glory that outweighs your suffering. How great is it? It is so great that this created order cannot even fulfill its God-intended purposes until you become perfectly like Jesus. Now, that is glorious. That's staggering. But as it is, you and I, because we're sinners, we infect everything we touch. Human beings always mangle what they touch. You think about the most astonishing achievements, scientific achievements in human history. 
Discoveries about atoms and molecules. What did we learn to do with atoms and molecules? Blow things up and kill people. Talk about perverting something that's God intended into purposes that conflict with the glory of God. It reminds me of a time when I was building a bench and I was staining it. I was putting wood stain on it and foolishly I plunged my hand right into the can of wood stain, not realizing how difficult it was to wash that stain right off. And on both hands had it all. I had this wood stain. I remember, I, I just remember, I had the kids with me, and little kids are running around, and I'm like, ha, 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 but I can't pick them up, or otherwise I'm going to get wood stain on I could try to wash the dishes. I could try to straighten the living room. I would get everything messy. That's the influence that we have, have as humans. We infect everything we put our fingers on, and, and creation groans because of this until our hands are clean, until our hearts are pure completely. How great is this glory? It's so great that the universe groans because until we become like Jesus, the creation remains in bondage. But second, when we become like Jesus, creation will be set free. Negatively, until we become like Jesus, creation remains in bondage. But positively, when we do become like Jesus, creation will be set free. We see this in verse 21, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, let's take apart these phrases, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What that means is the freedom that will come about when the children of God are glorified in becoming perfectly like Jesus. Now, just to remind you, this is not any glory that comes from us. All the glory comes from God. This is reflected glory, like the glory of the moon. Doesn't, it's not a light source. It just reflects the light of the sun. Any glory we have is just bouncing off of us back to God. This is why God created us. But you see that this whole section is, is bookended by this word glorified in verse 17 Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And then in verse 30, those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is speaking of the future glory of the children of God. And when we become like Jesus, creation will be set free. This is why Paul uses the picture of groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Because the groaning of this present cosmos, this created order as it is, the groaning is just the prelude to a glorious birth of something new. It's a future salvation, as someone put it, that will engulf the entire cosmos and reverse and transcend the consequences of the fall. I don't know about you, but this just sends sparks into the tinder of my imagination. What the universe will be like when we glorify God as we should. We, we get hints of this throughout Scripture, right? Uh, when, when they talk about the dwelling place of God is with man, the wolves shall dwell with the lamb. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. We, we see echoes of this, this, this intended God-given dominion that we were supposed to have in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 26. Just, just listen to some of the, the, the previews of what will be. Jesus says, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3, 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Second Timothy Chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says, don't you know that we are going to judge angels? There's some things that you and I are going to do in, in the future that, that we have no capacity to do right now because of our physical limitations. But when we're like Jesus, 
we'll be able to do finally the things that God created us to do. And this is not just imagination, because with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God broke into human history and proved decisively that there is coming a day when those who believe in Jesus will also be raised like Jesus. This is the hope that we have. It's not, this is not just imagination. This is not just something that Christians use to cope with our suffering. This is real. This is real. We know because Jesus rose from the dead and because we have this record that He did and we have the Word of God, this is not just hope so. This is no so. Now, what does this have to do with my suffering? Brothers and sisters in Christ, it means that you're the pain that you are experiencing right now, it's not pointless. It's actually leading to a glory that is so immense that it makes the present suffering not even worth comparing. And, and how do we know that it's not worth comparing? Because it's so immense that all creation longs for it to take place. The universe waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Very importantly, I want to point out one truth about this glory. This is not just a future glory. Yet the fullness of this belongs to a future age. But this is something that you and I can experience right now. What do I mean by that? To understand that, I want you to turn back a second to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What are the things that are unseen that we look to, and as we look to them, these present sufferings work for us this incomparable weight of glory? Well, to find that out, turn back a chapter to chapter 3 and verse 18. What are we looking at to be able to experience some prelude of this glory now? Paul writes, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Isn't that what this purpose of our suffering is? It's to make us more like Jesus, to be transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. This, my friends, is the glory that you and I can begin to experience now. It's the glory of being like Jesus. This is what God is intending for us in our suffering, to make us look more like Christ. It's like a teeny appetizer to an eternal feast. It's like the sweet prelude to an infinite anthem. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life to make you look more like Jesus now. And here's what I mean. When a Christian person goes through his cancer treatments and comes out through that suffering, humbler, more trusting, more content in Jesus, there is the likeness of Jesus. There's glory shining through right now. When a couple has a miscarriage, and they think about their little baby in heaven, and it teaches them to long a little more, to put more trust in Jesus and less trust on this earth, they begin to look like Jesus a little more. There's glory right now. When a man loses his job and he and his wife say to each other, this is time for us to trust the Lord. They're looking more like Jesus and there's a little bit more glory on earth right now. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. Look right there. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. And yet there's a treasure and that is the treasure of, of the glory of God and us becoming more like Jesus. We are afflicted in every way but not 
crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Here it is. So that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. That's glory now. Yeah, yes, ultimately it belongs to an age in which the entire universe will cease its groaning, but, but right now you can be more like Jesus. Take the example of William Cooper. He suffered severe depression. Any of you suffered depression? If he had lived in our day, he would have no doubt been diagnosed as having clinical depression, but at one point he was so low he tried to end it all by drowning himself. Later he came to write these words, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. I've been reading a biography of Jonathan Edwards. He was a native New Englander. But in that biography, the author tells a story of something that happened to his relatives. In February of 1704, a band of French and Native American soldiers invaded the little town of Deerfield, Massachusetts, took 39 people and killed them. And among those 39 people was a six-week-old baby and a six-year-old boy. The mother herself, where they were taking her with some other prisoners to Canada, in her grief and weakness, having just given birth to a baby a few weeks before, she also died. And her mother, the grandmother, hearing about this, she said, what shall I say? God grant that I may with Job come out like gold out of the fire when I've been tried. This is real. The comfort that God overwhelms us with in our suffering, the hope that no matter what our suffering is, the glory that awaits us will, will make it seem inconsequential because being like Jesus is better than anything. Sometimes suffering comes to us like an unexpected package on our doorstep, labeled with these red stenciled letters, suffering. And we ask God, why now? Why me? Why this? And what God is teaching us from Romans 8 is, just open it and wait, because you'll find that this is not empty, this is not pointless, this is not meaningless, because the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How glorious is that? So glorious that everything in this universe longs, groans for it to happen, the glory of becoming like Jesus, the glory that you can experience now as you become more like Jesus.